I'd ask that you turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from Galatians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 17 to 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. Please then hear with me, brothers and sisters, the reading of God's Word. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Thus far is a reading of of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, as we begin to look at verses 17 to 21, we must remember that it is part of a larger section which started back in verse 11. If you remember there, uh, Paul recounts to the saints in the churches of Galatia uh, Peter's sin. And he tells us how it was dealt with. And the reason that Paul does this is not to to rub salt in the wound, so to speak, uh, but he does it because he wants to teach the saints there uh, a very uh, great and valuable lesson. One that that every single person needs to, to learn and to understand. And all people need to learn it because... Uh, what's going on here in the Southern Asia Minor um, is not just distinct to them. Right? It's, it's a problem that, that exists throughout the world and has existed. We can trace it back throughout history. And it's a very persistent problem that we even see going on today. Right? Extremely prevalent in our, in our own day and age. Uh, and the problem is this. It is, it is nullifying the grace of God by thinking that we can have Christ yet all the while holding on to something in addition to Him. Right? For the Judaizers, it was, it was Christ and the ceremonial law. But for people today, it's, it's adding Christ to what is already a, a pretty swell person. Right? Or it's, it's someone who says, well, now that I have Christ, but I add to Christ uh, very uh, strict self-imposed rules that I have created. But we need to see, brothers and sisters, the the point of the entire epistle and the the point of of this section in particular is that either you have Christ and Christ alone for your entire righteousness before God, right, or you have nothing. Right? Either you have Christ and Christ alone for your entire righteousness, or you have nothing. Right? To add anything to the righteousness of Christ For your justified state before God is to make null and void the cross. It is to make the cross of no profit, of of no value to you. And this is so dangerous, brothers and sisters, though, because to not have the cross, right? To 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 do away with the cross, to nullify that grace, we all must know that there is there is nothing that can replace it. Right? There is no substitute for the cross. So if you have not the cross, you have nothing. You are left without anything. 
Right? The only means of escape for man's miserable, lost condition is the cross. And to think that we can add just, just one thing even to our right standing before God is to, is to toss away everything that you and I need. It's to discard the only remedy that God has given us that we might stand before God and be declared innocent saint right? instead of, of guilty sinners. And yet, this is the very thing the Judaizers are doing and are teaching the Gentile converts to do as well, to discard the grace of God, to turn your back on the cross by adding other things to it. Right? And this is what Peter also did by his example, didn't he? Right? Peter didn't declare that with his lips, but he certainly declared it by his actions. Right? When the Gentile converts saw him break table fellowship with them, as soon as the Judaizers from Jerusalem came, treating them as if they were unworthy to dine with, that there was something wrong with them, that they needed something more in addition to Christ, right? Paul, or excuse me, Peter declared the very same message by his actions that the Judaizers were declaring by their words. But what did we read last week in verses 15 and 16? I remember what, what Paul then says to Peter. Peter, how in the world can you make the Gentile converts believe that they have to follow the works of the law in order to be justified before God when you and I never were? Right? In fact, no Jew or no person ever who has ever come to faith in Christ has ever been justified by anything but Jesus Christ. Right? No one has been justified by, by Christ and the works of the law because Paul tells us, right, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now, it's not an excuse, uh, but Peter, though, did what he did out of fear, didn't he? Right? Because the Judaizers, he knew, uh, believed that if you forsook the law, right, if you cast off the law, that they would view you as no different than a Gentile sinner. And so this is what he's scared of. He's scared of when they come, what is it that they're going to see and say about him? And so he does it out of fear. But this is also the, the Judaizers' problem then with, with the gospel that, that Paul is declaring. Right? They're saying that the gospel that Paul declares is creating sinners because it does not have the law of God attached to it. And so they're saying, what kind of living is going to result from this type of gospel? It's going to be a whole bunch of a lawless living. They can only imagine the, the result. Right? They believe that, that, that any message that did not have the law included with it would be a message that would allow sin to abound. In, in, one, in one sense, we can kind of understand what they're saying, can't we? Because think about it. If, if for those of us who have children, if you said, all right, mom and dad are going on vacation this week, you have the house to yourself plus no rules. You know, what would result? Right? It would be chaos when you got back. I mean, think about in the world. If, if, if the whole world said, for, for one week, no laws, right? what would result? Right? It, would be, it would be madness, wouldn't it? And so this is what the Judaizers are thinking. Right? To, to, to just give them Christ without the law is going to create a whole bunch of lawless living. Right? If you don't have Jesus plus Moses, you're creating an environment for sin to abound. And this, though, is the, 
the concern then that Paul addresses in our text today, proving that in fact it's the Judaizers who are promoting sin. It's the, it's the Judaizers who are promoting a ministry of sin and lawlessness. And it's not Paul, right? nor Christ. Uh, for Paul declares a message of free grace uh, and justification by faith alone in Christ alone, which, which does not lead to lawlessness at all. And we'll, we'll see why in just a bit as we consider our text this morning. But our, our first point then this morning as we look at our text, we'll call this uh, Paul's defense of Christ's ministry. Right, point number one, Paul's defense of Christ's ministry. Here what Paul sets out to show is the utter absurdity right, to say that anything that Christ could be attached to could be promoting sin. Okay, Look at verses uh, 17 to 19 with me once more. Paul says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ... We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Now, remember again that in verse 15, Paul makes excuse me, a distinction between uh, two groups of people. The Jews who had the law and Gentile sinners who did not have the law. And so what Paul is saying here now is um, if we seek to be justified by Christ alone, forsaking the law, and now are reckoned to be by you Judaizers sinners because we no longer are seeking to be justified by the law, does this mean that Christ is a servant of sin? And that word servant there is uh, also can be translated minister. Right? So, so really, is, the question is, does our seeking to be justified by faith alone, apart from works, which you view us now to be as, as sinners, because we have forsook the law in, in uh, not wanting to be justified by it, right? uh, does, does that now... Uh, make Christ a minister of sin. Or we can say it like this, does, does the gospel then that Paul proclaims promote lawlessness? Right? Does, does the gospel that Paul proclaims and that Christians believe in, one that allows for sinful living to go on? And Paul's response is this, it's certainly not. It's certainly not. And it's blasphemy, in fact, to say. Why? Well, because Jesus didn't come to encourage sin, did he? No, Jesus came to, to expose sin. Right? When Jesus came, he, he did not bring sin with him. When Jesus came, sin was already here. Jesus came to reveal sin, didn't he? Right? We see that throughout the Gospels, especially uh, amongst the religious elite. Right? Jesus exposed their sinfulness because it was really the religious leaders who were leading the Israelites into all the more sin. Right? Demanding that they observe the law but not demanding that they do it with a pure heart. And so you have the, the religious leaders who are, who are doing all of the, the ceremonial rituals, right? exactly how they think it ought to be done, but, but inside they're dead. Inside they're dead. Their, their hearts are full of sin. That is because you can, you can do the law all you want, but, 
Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, the law is not a faith. Right? So you can do the law you want, but the law is not a faith. The law doesn't transform hearts. Right? The law is not gracious to the sinner. And so, this is why Jesus says in Matthew 23, verses 27 to 28, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, it was those who sought to be justified by the, by the law who promoted a ministry of lawlessness, not Christ. Right? The law was, was never though a means to attain right standing before God. The, the law condemned all who are under the law, we're told, are under a curse. And so Jesus cannot be a, a minister of sin, can He? That ministry was already here. Right? Christ came with, with, a, with the opposite ministry, didn't He? Right? The very an, antithesis to, to the ministry of sin and what Paul calls the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. Right? It is Christ who came to remove the curse of the law and to destroy sin. Right? His purpose in coming was not to cause sin to abound, but His purpose in coming was, was to deal with it in His person. Right, and to destroy it, to put it to death. As the angel told Joseph in, in Matthew chapter 1, right, that, that Jesus is coming to, to save His people from their sins. That's why He came. Jesus, we're told in Scripture, is the, the great physician. When Jesus came, He did not come to, to cause the disease that was already within us to spread more. But He came to open us up and to show us the disease that was already within our sin. And He came to take that spiritual scalpel as the great physician and to scrape away the guilt of all of our sin. Right? That was the, the purpose in His coming. Right? This is what John the Baptist acknowledged as well, didn't he? In, in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he sees Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. And so, Jesus cannot be the minister of sin. Right? How can He be? When he's, he's not the author of sin. Nor did He sin. Nor, as the God-man, could He sin. And so, He could not be a minister of sin. But in verses 18 and 19, then Paul goes on to show that in fact it's the doctrine of the Judaizers and what they held on to that was the ministry of sin. Again, in verses 18 and 19. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that, that through the preaching of the gospel, I've torn down the law. Right? The gospel has torn down the law. Which tells us what? That the law and the gospel aren't the same thing. That the law and the gospel cannot stand side by side. That they, they can't both be next to each other. Right? You either have Christ fulfilling the law or we must fulfill the law. If Christ fulfilled the law, then we no longer have to fulfill it as a means to be justified before God. But if Christ didn't fulfill the law, then we must fulfill it as a means to be justified before God. But what Paul's saying is both can't be true. Right? Both can't be true. And to, and to build up the law once more would to say that they are both true. 
which Paul says I cannot do. I can't build back up what I've torn down. Because to build it back up then would be to put oneself back under the law. Right? It would be to put myself back under the curse. Because what's the purpose of the law? To show us that we can't fulfill it. To show us that we are sinners. And so to build it back up and to put myself underneath it is to make myself a transgressor all over again. Right? That's Paul's point here. And this is exactly what the Judaizers have done. And this is what they are teaching all of those who follow after them. But what they don't understand is that it's not Jesus who causes people to sin. It's not the ministry of Jesus that causes people to sin. But it's people who sought to be justified by the law who make themselves sinners. Why? Because we can't keep the law. Right? The, the, the law actually, when laid hold to by our corrupt nature, only causes sin to abound all the more. But that's what Paul says in Romans 7. Right? When, when, when our indwelling sin grabs hold of the law, it doesn't make us better people, it makes us worse. When we have the law and we say, God commands us to do this, right? With the indwelling sin in us doesn't say, okay, Lord, I want to obey, right? But rather it says, no, I want to do what's forbidden. I want to do the exact opposite, don't they? And we see this through the example of what's going on in our very own world, don't we? This is why Paul then says in verse 9, though, for through the law, I died to the law. What Paul's saying is, I can't build back up the law and restore the law because the law has taught me that I can't fulfill the standard that it requires. Right? He understands that the law is, is merciless. The law is a, is a hard master. And so he's saying, why would anyone ever want to put themselves back under it? And so he says that I gave up trying to be righteous by the law in order that now I might be justified before God through Christ that I might now live unto Him. Which teaches us what? That if we, if we want to live unto God, you first have to die to the law. If you want to live unto God, you have to die unto the law. Right? Because the law cannot justify you. But it's Christ who, who perfectly justifies the sinner. And so Paul proves that Jesus is not a minister of sin. Right? It's only those who would build back up the law and put you back underneath it who are ministers of sin. Right? Jesus and His ministry is one of grace, isn't it? Right? It's one of grace and mercy. It's the ministry of the Judaizers that, that kills, that brings death and condemnation. Christ's ministry gives life. The ministry of the law brings people into bondage. But the ministry of Christ grants to us freedom in Him. But recognize this, it's not a freedom now to go about sinning. But rather, it's a freedom He has granted to us that we might now live unto God. But how has this happened? How does a, a gospel of free grace and the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone not make us greater sinners, but in fact enable us now to, to live unto God? Well, Paul tells us in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Here's our second point. Our second point is being crucified with Christ. Being crucified with Christ. 
Paul says that uh, the true doctrine of justification, the message that he declares, does not produce greater sin. Why? Well, because it is actually that message that allows us uh, to freely now live unto God through fellowship with His Son. Through fellowship with His Son. Now, what Paul says here in verse 20 is, is extremely important. I want everyone to listen closely. Right, what Paul says in verse 20 is extremely important, but I think it's also missed by many. And it shouldn't be, because it's pretty clear. Paul begins in verse 20 by saying what? I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. He doesn't say, Christ has been crucified for me. Now that's true, but that's not what he says here. He goes a step further, doesn't he? And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. I think as believers, most people would say yes. Christ has been crucified for me. And even when they, when, they, when, they, if, when they read Paul here, I've been crucified with Christ, they say, you know, maybe they don't really understand what it means. And they, they hold on to, yes, Christ was crucified with me, but they never think of, of being crucified with Him. Right? And we need to see that, that that's, what's, that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is, is going even further. And saying, I have been crucified with Christ, saying that, that in a sense, I have been crucified along with Christ. Okay? I've been crucified along with Christ. Listen to what the great Puritan theologian William Perkins says on the crucifixion and how we are to think about it. He says this, We are in mind and meditation to consider Christ crucified. And first... First, we are to believe that He was crucified for us. Which I think all of us believe. But then he goes on to say this, We must yet go further and as it were, spread ourselves on the cross of Christ. Believing and and with all beholding ourselves crucified in Him. Right, so that we just don't believe, brothers and sisters, that the, the crucifixion was this event that we just think back on that happened some 2,000 years ago. But you believe that it's something that you, in fact, shared in as a Christian who is now in Christ. Now, just a disclaimer for everybody here, so nobody gets up and walks out. Right? We're not saying that our crucifixion with Christ plays any part in our atonement or anything like that. Right? Christ alone is the atoning sacrifice. Christ alone died for sin. But I want us to stop, though, and to consider who Christ was. Right? Who did Christ act on behalf of? Right? Christ was the representative of all the, of all the elect. Right? He was the, the covenant head, the federal head of, of all believers. Just as Adam was the federal head or the, or the representative of, of all of humanity. Right? All those who are born by natural generation after Adam. So that, in saying this, that when Adam sinned in the garden, we can say that we sinned with Adam. 
so that when, when Adam took a bite of the fruit, every one of us here took that bite along with Adam. And that's the same thing we're saying here about Christ. Right? And that doctrine that undergirds this is the doctrine of union with Christ. Right? That, that, that when Christ came into the world, He did not come as a private person, but He came as a public person. Right? He came on behalf of all of His elect. And this language is no different than we read elsewhere in Scripture. Right? In Romans 6, uh, Paul says that we have died with Christ. That we have been raised with Christ. Right? Christ died and in Him I died. That's what Paul's saying. Christ was raised and in Him I was raised with Christ. In Ephesians 2, Christ now reigns in the heavenlies. And we are seated with Him there. We're told we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Right? Christ is there and in Him we now are there in the heavenly places with Christ. You know, union with Christ, brothers and sisters, is all over the Scripture. But I'm not sure how truly well Christians actually grasp what union with Christ means. I mean, it's, it's wonderful when you grasp it. Because it means we've been made one with Christ. We have been made one with Him. And being made one with Him means that, that the cross likewise is made ours. As if we were crucified in our own person with Him upon the cross. Right? That's how we can now live unto God. Not just because Christ has been crucified for us, but because we have been crucified with Him there. Listen once more to William Perkins and what he says about those who who don't believe this very thing I'm talking to you about this morning. He says this, Again, here we take notice of the false faith of many men. They can be content to believe that Christ was crucified for them. But there they make a pause. But he's saying, they believe Christ was crucified for me. But that's it. I stop there. He says, for they do not believe that they are crucified with Christ. Therefore, their faith is but a half a faith. That's what he says of them. And their profession is but a half of a profession. For they have the form of godliness without the power thereof. They think they believe the articles of faith are right. But they are deceived. For to believe in Christ crucified is not only to believe that He was crucified, but also to believe that I am crucified with Him. And this is to know Christ crucified. That's what William Perkins says. He's saying you can't just say Christ was crucified, but I can remain in my old man and keep living according to my old self. That's what the Judaizers were claiming Paul's message was saying. No, but to confess that that Christ is ours, that we have been united to Him by faith, is to say that, no, when Christ was crucified, our old man hung on that tree and died with Him. That's what it means. And so, brothers and sisters, do you know Christ crucified in this way? Can you say that not only was He crucified for you, but that like Paul, you can confess that, that I have been crucified with Him. 
Right? To know Christ crucified in this way is the only way you can find true peace and comfort in this world. Right? It's only then you can see yourself truly freed from the dominion of the law and sin and the devil and, and all of your spiritual enemies because it's only then that you see yourself as having your old man been put to death on the cross with Christ. And in response to that, as we consider the cross, as we should do more and more, especially the more we learn about it, it ought to, to cause us to desire, in light of, of the saving donation now that Christ has made to us being one with Him, to, to call out to God and say, God, as, as Christ suffered in love for me, may you increase my love for Him that I might be willing to suffer for His sake now. That we would cry out with great desire, O Lord, as Christ suffered in perfect obedience for me, that Lord, You would increase my desire to obey You for Your sake and the sake of Christ, no matter what trials or tribulations it might bring. O Lord, as, as Christ suffered in faith, and perfect dependence upon His Father. Oh Lord, would You help us to have our faith increased, right? that we might live not to ourselves, but to You right? by the, the power of Christ, right? no matter what that means for our lives. Right? We have to ask this, does knowing what Christ has done for you and knowing that your old man has been crucified with Him elicit that response in you? Right? Does it elicit that response in you? Your conformity to Christ is a demonstration that, as one minister says, you have been co-crucified with Christ. Have you been co-crucified with Christ? Well, your conformity to Christ is a demonstration that you have. And so I want us to see this is one reason that you have been crucified with Christ. Why? The doctrine of justification by faith alone does not produce more sin in us, but rather it, it destroys the sin in us. right? Because we no longer go walking around in our old man, but rather our old man has been put to death on the cross with Christ. This leads us then to our third and our final point, which is this. Our life lived in Christ. Our life lived in Christ. Now here is the second reason Paul gives why justification doesn't lead to to more sin or promote sin. Because what does he say? Uh, He says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now, it might sound confusing at first. Paul says, uh, It's not I who live, but but Christ who lives. And then he goes on to say, but now the life that I live, right? I live through faith in Christ. So, so is it Christ who's living or is it Paul who's living? Well, Paul's point is this, that, that he no longer lives according to his former self. Right? He no longer lives to, according to that former man. He has, he has died to the old self. Right? That's what Paul says. He has died to his old self. He has, he has died to his old man. And now Christ has produced within Paul right, a new spiritual life 
through which Paul now lives. Right? When this happens, right, our old nature dies. We no longer live as we once lived prior to Christ filling us right, with Himself. Right? And now it is, it is not sin that reigns in us and lives in us, but rather it's Christ who reigns in us. And it's Christ who lives in us. Right? All that once dominated us, right, our natural corruption, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, brothers and sisters, we must see as dead to us. Right? We, we must reckon it as dead to us, that it should have no place in us anymore. It cannot share a spot in our heart alongside Jesus Christ who now lives in us and who has produced within us a new will and new desires and new affections, all which are holy and spiritual and good. It's through this wonderful union then with Christ that, that we receive now our life from Him. We need to see that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. The branches only exist in virtue of the vine. And that's the same case with Christ in the church and Christ in the Christian life. We live by virtue of the vine. We live by virtue of Christ. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And our bodies are now members of Christ. Now, how can that be? Well, brothers and sisters, he's speaking spiritually. right? Because Christ is in heaven. We are on earth. And so how then does Christ live in us? How then does Christ animate our being? It's by the Spirit. It's by the Spirit. The same Spirit that's in Christ is in us. And it's that Spirit that raises us to newness of life, causes us to walk in holiness. Right? It's that Spirit that causes every believer... Although living in the flesh, living in our mortal bodies, to no longer live through them, but rather to live through faith in Christ. I remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It's God who, who works in us both to will and work after His good pleasure. Right? It's, it's all of grace. It's all of God. Right? It's God Himself who causes you to no longer walk after the flesh, but rather to live unto God by faith. But we see, brothers and sisters, that Christ first had to die in order that we might live unto Him. And as we stop and we consider that for a moment, it ought to cause us to reflect upon our own wickedness prior to Christ. Realizing that, that this is the only thing that could allow us to live unto God. The death of His Son. That's, the only, that's how terrible you and I were. That this is the only remedy for you and I to be able to live unto God. The death of His Son. Which means what? It means ultimately that the spear in the side and the nails in the hands and the feet were made by you and I. Were made by you and I. But now by faith, as we live in Christ, also, we must consider what now is ours, which is forgiveness of sin, which is grace, mercy, peace, joy, contentment, salvation, and life everlasting. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus came into the world, He said, I'll take your sin and death, and I will give you my life. Now live through me. That's what Jesus has said to every single one of us here today who believes. The question is,
Do you now carry yourselves as crucified people dead to your sins? Or do you presume upon the grace of God and think that now your, your sin may abound? How can it though, if you've been united to Christ, if Christ now lives in you? True believers cannot live lives characterized by sin. And this is one of the ways that we know that, that Christ lives in us, that we no longer desire to live a life of sin. Right? That it no longer pleases us anymore. That we, in fact, now desire to obey God's Word. And we desire to have fellowship with God and fellowship with His people. That, that when we sin, we, we are pierced to the heart. That, that when we sin, it brings about a, a godly sorrow and repentance over our sin. Right? You know that Christ lives in you when you have a desire to, to, to pray to God and speak to your Savior and to be here every Sunday and worshiping Him. But not just now, but worshiping Him and praising Him throughout the week in your own homes. And we don't do it so that we might be justified or, or receive some extra favor from God, but rather we do it because now we live by faith in the Son. And it's that faith in Christ that now causes us to do good works. Right? It's the faith in, in Son and Christ living inside of us that now causes us to be guided by Him and no longer by our feelings. Right? It's, it's, it's through faith in the Son and Christ living in us that, that now we, we know how to make use of all temporal goods that God gives to us. It's, it's through faith in Christ and Him living in us that we no longer now live to sin, but rather we live to Christ. But the world despises Paul's confession, doesn't it? Right? The, this world despises Paul's confession. They say it's all about me. When Paul says it's nothing about you, it's all about Christ. Right? This world is on a journey of self-discovery and self-improvement. When Paul says to the Christian, we must say, I die to me. I die to me. I deny myself. It's, it's no longer me who reigns over me, but now Christ does. But this is the, one of the reasons why the Gospel and the ministry of Jesus can't be a ministry of sin. This is why Christ can't be a minister of sin. Because for those who believe in the Gospel, those who receive Christ by faith, you now him, have Him living inside of you, causing you to walk after the commandments of God and obey all that God has commanded, not to be justified because Christ already accomplished that. But rather you do so in order that that God might be magnified in your body. Right? That, that, that He might be glorified right, in your good works before others. This is why Paul then concludes in verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He says, if you think the message of free grace and the, and the true doctrine of justification by faith alone needs something in addition to it, like the works of the law to be justified, you have now said Christ has died for no reason. Are you saying you don't understand the cross? That you think very little of the infinite value that Christ paid upon the cross for sin? Right? If you could do it, if I could do it, if anyone could do it, why would Christ have to come in the first place? And He came because you and I can't do it. Right? He came to be our substitute, to, to do it all. And so let us see that we can never put divine grace alongside human merit. Right? They can't stand together. As we said before, Paul's point is it's Christ or nothing. It's either Christ justifies you or nothing will justify you. 
Now, Paul personalizes, though, what, what, uh, who, or excuse me, who Christ crucified was for. Right? He says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you able to say that of Christ crucified? Are you able to declare that, that Christ loves me and that Christ has given himself for me? If you don't have faith, you can't. And if you seek to be justified by the works of the law, neither can you. A true faith in the one who loves you and died for you should cause you to count yourself as nothing and Jesus as everything. Right? True faith that, that, that knows that Jesus died for them and that Jesus loves them, right, is a faith that causes us to forsake ourselves and to simply offer our bodies and souls up to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise. Right? True faith that knows that, that Christ loves me and died for me no longer lives in accordance to that natural state. But now you live according to your justified state, having the, the life-giving Spirit of Christ living inside of you. Because those whom Christ loved and died for, He gives the power to walk in His ways. And it now allows us to do what? To freely and cheerfully serve God, knowing that it counts nothing towards our justification. Right? Because our works aren't the grounds of our justification. Christ's works are. Which means that we can live unto God and find acceptance in Him through Christ even though, even though, we have many weaknesses still and many blemishes still and our works that we do to God are imperfect still. Knowing that in Christ all the service we render to God He accepts as done by His child whom He loves. That's a wonderful thing to rest in, isn't it? As we draw to a close this morning, I want to uh, quote here from John Calvin. And what he says is, is true of, of every one of us who has been justified by faith alone and Christ alone, apart right, from the works of the law. Listen to what he says here. He says, picture a child who is seeking to obey his father. When his father asks him to do something, he will accept what the child does, even though the child may not understand what he's doing. The child may even break something in the process, and yet the father will not fret about the broken object when he sees his child's affection and willingness to obey. But if a man hires a servant, he will expect him to perform his task perfectly. Why? Because he is going to receive wages. And therefore, he cannot afford to ruin what has been committed to his hands. If the task is not done well, the master will not be content with it. Our Lord, speaking of the days of gospel grace, says that He will accept our service just as a father accepts the obedience of his child, even if all that is done is of no value. That is to say, He does not accept it because it is perfect, for it is not. But He bears with us out of His abundant mercy. He shows Himself to be so bountiful and kind to us accepting what we do as if it were fully pleasing to Him. Although there is no inherent worth or merit in our works at all. Thus, Calvin says, we can have the freedom and the courage to serve God now. We can know that God will bless all that we do for Him because whatever is wrong with our offerings is washed away in the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And I want us to see in our text, the Judaizers are the servants. They're the ones who are looking to receive wages for what they do. And so there's no mercy to the servant, is there? This is why we need to lay hold to the gospel and the true doctrine of justification, which Paul has laid out for us here in uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. Knowing that it's only then that you become a child of God. Right? But also then, it's only then you can rest confidently. Knowing that, that God, from this day forth and forevermore as a child of God, will only and always deal with you and I as such. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank You so much that You are our Father. Uh, that You have made Yourself our Father uh, through uh, the justifying faith that You have granted to us in Christ. Uh, We thank You, O Lord, that You have uh, so graciously taken us from uh, servitude to uh, sonship. Uh, We thank You, Lord, that uh, we no longer have to fear You as a terrible judge but rather now we can fear You as, as a, a loving and righteous Father, knowing that everything that You do for us is, is for our good and what is best. And so, Lord, we pray that You would help us to, to uh, not ever think that there is anything that we can do to add to our uh, righteous standing before God, but rather, Lord, that You would every day Uh, remind us and humble us of who we are apart from Christ. And that it is Christ and Christ alone who justifies. That Christ is everything for the sinner. And may You cause us to lay hold to Christ every day, never forgetting to render to You also the praise and thanksgiving that is due uh, for what You have done for us in Your Son. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.